Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Well, now that you've heard our intro, you can tell that we do it every single episode and it's not a rerun and not part of the theme song because this is my voice. Yeah, so Maddie has very little voice, so please excuse that. So here's the thing. I was actually looking up an unrelated case that has nothing to do with anything that we're doing right now. And I saw while I was researching this other case that in the UK... In the late 70s, early 80s, there were three separate serial killers running crazy. So then naturally my mother had to go down the rabbit hole and we've ended ourselves <laughs> where we are today, not doing a case that takes a place in the woods. Instead, we are taking the next three weeks and we are covering three serial killers from the UK in the late 70s and the early 80s. Yeah, so that, this is it. So this, is, this it. is it. So I'm sorry. This is what happens when you go down a rabbit hole and then you don't have time to do any other research because yeah. you were down the rabbit yep. hole so for this too is where long. We're at. In the UK, there are thought to be at least two serial killers active at any one time. How many in the US? 50. So this we tells you... Issues. We, we got issues. But this tells you how crazy it is that there were three serial killers operating at at the same time three prolific serial killers all at once in the uk right and they have an average of like two at a time versus the u.s which is an average of like 50 what in the hell is going on here so in the late 70s early 80s when three serial killers were operating in relative closeness at the same time it shook the small communities that would be changed forever by them and today we will be talking about angus Sinclair, who is responsible for the world's end murders. And I know it sounds like I said that wrong, but I didn't. The world's end murders occurred in 1977. Mm -hmm. So he murdered 17-year-old Christine Eddy and 17-year-old Helen Scott. He was labeled the world's end murderer because both girls disappeared after leaving the world's end pub. And the World's End pub is located in Scotland. Sinclair was a Glaswegian, which is... Which is basically what they call, like, natives of Glasgow. I had never heard of that before, but, yeah. All right. I like it. All right, so he grew up in the St. George's Cross area and attended Lavelle Street Primary and then St. George's Junior Secondary School. And he had two siblings. Yep. He began his life of crime at the prime age of 13 when he stole from the offertory box of a Glasgow church in 1959. So he was given 12 months of probation. How much money did he steal? Okay, and that same year he was caught breaking into a house and two years later he got a sexual assault charge. Oh my God, of an eight-year-old girl. And he was put on probation for three years for this. Yeah, he did not even spend any time anywhere. So he's about 15 by this age. But probation. I mean, I don't know. Okay, it gets worse though. It would be seven months later that he would kill for the first time. It was 1961. He was 15 years old when he sexually assaulted eight-year-old Catherine Rehill. And while he was doing this, someone actually knocked on the door and he went to answer it. And after he got rid of that person, he went back to the assault. 
He strangled her with the inner tubing of a bicycle and then threw her down the stairs. He then pretended to find her and called police himself and said that he found her at the bottom of the stairs. In her home? Well, they lived in like the same building. Okay. So it was like the stairwell of their building is what he threw her down. Jesus Christ. Regardless of his helpful demeanor, he soon became the prime suspect. After being arrested, a psychiatrist said, given the minimum opportunity, he will repeat these offenses, irrespective of what promises he may give you to the contrary. So basically, this therapist is saying, no matter what he says, he's going to repeat. He's going to do this again. Yeah. So the judge described him as callous, cunning, and wicked. Great things to be described as. I would say that's going light, actually. I would also say that is light. So he was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but only served six. Six years for murder. And I know he's a minor when this happens. Okay, so while he was in prison, though, he learned painting and decorating skills. Yep. So um, he'd use these when he got out of jail, but... Well, it's good to have, like, a trade, I guess. So he got out in 1968. He meets and marries a girl, and all is quiet for a little bit, as far as we know. He even has a child with her, and I couldn't find much information about that, but Well, it did I would happen. assume that the kid would like to uh, forever stay hidden. Yeah, I would as well. About 1975 is when his marriage falls apart. He also buys a camper van. Whenever, like, a guy buys a van, which... It's always under the pretense of, like, work, though. I'm... Yeah. In 1976, he is suspected of another crime. A seven-year-old named Pauline and her father, who lived in Glasgow, two men came to their door. They were both wearing masks. They tied her and her dad up, robbed them, and then attacked them with a claw hammer before fleeing. Hammers. I can't. Nope. Hammers are on the no-no list. We all know that. Yeah. And the reason we think he's responsible for this is because when his accomplice was caught, he confessed that they had done it together. On the night of October 15, 1977, Christine Eddy and Helen Scott were seen leaving the World's End pub around closing. They were friends from Fur Hill High and were out for a Saturday night on the town. Now, they had both just gotten their first paychecks and they were kind of celebrating with friends. Helen even bought a new Burberry jacket for the evening. And the legal drinking age in Scotland is 18 at this time. But her and her friends would sometimes get dressed up and hope to pass for 18-year-olds. They had gone from bar to bar drinking. And at some, they would get kicked out. And at others, they would get served. It just depends. But they ended their evening at the World's End Pub. 10 o'clock rolled around, which is closing time for all bars in Scotland at this time, which is crazy. Yeah, 10. 10 p.m. was closing time. It's like 2 a.m. here. Yeah. So I don't know if you're not like 24 hour. So basically all the friends were kind of deciding what to do. They were talking about going back to somebody's house for a house party. But Christine and Helen decided not to go. Mm-hmm. This pub was on High Street on the Royal Mile, which is a succession of streets kind of forming the main thoroughfare of the old town in Edinburgh. The two left the pub in the company of two men who they had been seen chatting with at the pub. 
And these were not people that were in their friend group. They had just met them there. Okay. It was around 10.30 p.m. when PC John Rafferty was walking past the pub and saw Helen, who he knew. She kind of stumbled and he paused to steady her, and then she continued on with the other three. He glanced back and watched them all disappear into the fog, and he would later identify one of these men as Angus Sinclair. And this would be the last time that anyone would see the girls alive. So Christine's naked body was discovered the next day in Gosford Bay by two people who were walking their dog along the tide line. And they thought at first it was a tailor's dummy. It's never a dummy. It's never a mannequin. It's never any of those it's things. It's a fucking body, bro. Why is everybody's first thought, oh, it's a tailor's dummy or oh, it's a mannequin? No, I see something like that. Sometimes I see a stick and I'm like, oh my God, it's a body. So she'd been strangled, and her pants had been stuffed in her mouth, and her bra was wrapped around her head. So four hours later and six miles away, a farmer finds Helen's naked body in a cornfield. Her jeans, shoes, and handbag are all missing, and she's laying on her new Burberry jacket. Both women had been beaten, gagged, tied up, raped, and strangled. It was apparent that there was no attempt to hide either body. They were pretty much just out in the open. And the knots used to tie the girls up were different, which is what first suggested to police that there were two killers. Because they don't get all of these eyewitness reports until far later. Yeah. So for police, the first information they have is there's two bodies. Mm-hmm. They had gone missing from one jurisdiction, and they were found in another. So right away, we have a slightly more complicated investigation. Yeah, naturally. And for us here, where the body is found is where the investigation would belong. So Lothiam and Borders Police conduct the investigation. Those are the two departments. The list of suspects was over 500 people, and more than 13,000 statements were taken. Jesus. They interviewed people who had been around and at the pub that night. And remember, we don't have cell phones. We don't have cameras. They couldn't even determine if any calls had been placed on the public phone that was inside the pub. So it's kind of just you're just relying on witness statements, which can be unreliable anyway. Yeah. What they did get easily was 30 anonymous letters suggesting possible suspects. So apparently a lot of people know a lot of people that they think might be a murderer. I don't know. Dude. The case commanded widespread attention in the Scotland media at the time. So this became big news. So it was reported that witnesses came forward saying that they had seen the girls sitting near a public telephone talking to two men. But these men did not come forward and police were unable to identify them. This combined with the two different knots being used led police to be fairly certain that there were two different killers. Different killers, yep. Okay, so actually all the evidence that they had, though, was begged, and it was actually done really well for being the 70s. Yeah, especially the Burberry jacket. It's an expensive-ass jacket. Well, it's not just that either. There was actually, like, a detective in the department at the time who had a very strong belief system that... DNA was going to be very important and that evidence needed to be preserved, which was genius for this time frame. Okay. 
So on the Burberry jacket, police found a stain, and because this jacket was new, this would be important evidence. It would turn out to be semen, but that was about all they could tell at the time. So there were a number of other murders that came to the attention of investigators, and these took place in Glasgow about 40 miles away. So the murders were Anna Kenny, Hilda McCooley, Agnes Cooney, and they had all disappeared on the weekend, and they had all been found strangled with their own clothing. So they got together with investigators that had been investigating these three murders, but at the end of it, they decided not to actually link them, like not to combine all of them, but just to keep each other informed. So another name that came up in the investigation was that of Francis Barker. Yeah, so a couple things about these. So Francis and Hilda were both in their mid-30s. So when we're talking about our current victims who are both 17, that is a pretty big difference. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know, but we could be dealing with a killer who is opportunistic and the age is irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, maybe... But we know that he interacted with these girls, like, at the pub. So, to me, that doesn't speak opportunistic, but I don't know. No, I don't think... If they're, if he's picking up his victims at a bar like this, I don't see them being 30 versus... Who knows if these girls looked older, too. They could have looked like they were in, like, their 20s. True, I know. They all could have looked like they were in their 20s, this yeah. age range, yeah. So they continued to work every lead, but found nothing. Yeah. By May of 1978, police had scaled back the investigation. Now, that's like seven months. And they didn't, like, shelve it. They just had to scale back on it. Because they probably initially had every detective working on this case. But, you guys, there's still other crimes happening. There's other things that need to be handled as well. So I think it was just scaled back by this point when they still hadn't found anything. In 1982, five years after the murders of Christine and Helen, Sinclair, so Angus Sinclair, was arrested and charged of the sexual assault of multiple children. And you guys, he pleaded guilty to 11 of 13 charges libeling various rapes and indecent assault committed against young children and was sentenced to life in prison, which we know isn't really life in prison. These victims were between the ages of 8 and 11. Why the fuck was this man allowed to be around children? And he was known to wait in landings and closes and grab his victims at knife point. It was determined again that Sinclair would continue to be a danger to children if ever released. No shit. You probably should have known that after the first little girl he murdered. They did. They said that. They told the court that. He was still released. Ugh. But despite this, and despite his history, you guys, I literally can't. Like, I am struggling to even read this sentence. He was given leave from prison to go to a boat festival where he would be unsupervised for the majority of the weekend and would be selling children's toys that he had made in prison. Like, what in the actual fuck? What in the actual fuck? I don't even know. You guys, this pedophile made a bunch of toys in prison, so the right thing to do would be to let him go interact with the children. 
I literally, and I will say this, not to give credit to anyone or to take responsibility away from anyone, but it sounds like the warden or whoever was unaware that this was happening, allegedly. And I don't know how that could be possible. And I don't know what prisons were like in the 70s and the 80s, but we have literally had tons of cases where they're like out fishing, prisoners are. So we know that it happens, but this to me is like a really big fuck up right here. Yeah, because it's not like, oh, he's in prison for drug charges and makes toys and then wants to sell them. Like still. Well, and even then, let's send the the ex-drug dealer out to interact with our children. better than the pedophile. I literally, I don't know what. Can we send someone out for fraud? Like someone who's in prison for fraud to go Maybe sell the children's toys of some kind. Yeah. Grandpa who evaded his taxes. Like, can we pick somebody else? Maybe please? grandpa who was growing pot in his yard. Oh, but you guys, don't worry. As far as they know, he didn't molest any children while he was out. Unsupervised. Selling children's toys. Yeah, bullshit. He didn't do anything. I'm so sure. All right, so in the mid-90s, police were going around all the prisons and collecting DNA samples to build a national database. And they were asking sex offenders to volunteer their DNA, and Sinclair was one of them. So you guys, this fool voluntarily gave up his DNA. Dumbass. But, I I mean, I don't know how this was presented to the prisoners. Like, maybe it was technically voluntary, but maybe... It wasn't presented that way because I feel like with his history, he would not have volunteered his DNA. Maybe he's like, fuck it, I'm in here for life anyway. Or they didn't know exactly what it's going to be used for. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so in June of 2001, a cold case review of Mary Gallagher case by Strathclyde Police. If I butchered that, please don't come for me. Sorry, and if sorry. you do... My mom's the one that's going to get upset, so it's not going to be me. <laughs> You're not even going to be punishing Maddie. You're going to be no. punishing me. So this murder had been unsolved for 22 years, and police actually had a suspect, but his DNA didn't match. Mary was 17. Sound familiar? She had been murdered in November of 1978, so just over a year after the murders of Christine and Helen. She was on a footpath, near Barnhill Railway Station in Glasgow, when she was drugged into the bushes, sexually assaulted, and murdered. She was found naked from the waist down, and her throat was cut, and she also had a ligature tied around her neck. There was a small pinprick on her back and a matching hole on her clothing, suggesting that someone maybe had threatened her with a knife to her back. Which, if you remember, is what Sinclair did with his younger victims. With new technology, they were able to find the presence of semen on a pubic hair that had been collected at the time of her murder. They entered it into the DNA database and guessed who it matched. Angus Sinclair. Indeed. So, while still in prison for the child rape cases, Sinclair went on trial for the murder of 17-year-old Mary Gallagher. He was actually getting ready to come up for parole. Parole? When this happened. So this fool, and not to say that he would have gotten out, but he probably would have. They let him go to a boat festival. Sinclair, of course, denied any involvement in the murder. Naturally. 
And said that he had had sex with Mary, but it was consensual. Of course. It's always consensual. So the cold case unit in Edinburgh, which is where, if you remember, the World's End murder happened, requested further forensic to be done on the case now that DNA profiling techniques had greatly improved and they were able to get a single male DNA profile. Yep. So they entered it into the database and got nothing. It was also compared with the list of 500 suspects that they had had back in 1977, and there was no match. So, remember, Sinclair is in the database. Time marched on, and they were eventually able to have the sample analyzed further, and they were able to find a second male sample in the mix. And when they entered this into the database, they got a hit. Oh, guess you can't guess who it is, though. Just kidding, it's Angus. But the first one, or the first, is this a different DNA sample, or? It's the same sample that they had, but they didn't know that there were two DNA profiles in the sample. Yeah, because I was going to say there were two guys that did it, so I bet you. So the main DNA sample that they've been holding onto was actually from the other suspect. So they still have their primary DNA sample, and they start digging into the lives of people that Sinclair had been in contact with. And that's how they settled on Gordon Hamilton. Now, he had died in 1996, and he had been cremated, so they had to find something with Gordon's DNA on it. Oh, this is fucking nuts. What the fuck? I'm not touching anything again in my entire life. Never again, right? So they found a house that he had done molding on, and when they removed this molding, they were able to find his DNA. On October 8, 2003, BBC's Crime Watch aired an episode on the murders And this prompted 130 calls. One was from a man who said he was walking near Gosford Bay the night of the murders and that he had seen a van, a work van, driving erratically, but he hadn't contacted police at the time. Mm. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. But really, that just brings Sinclair's van into the mix, I guess. But So on August 27th, 2007... The trial of Angus Sinclair got underway. It was held in Court 3 at the High Court in Edinburgh and presided by Lord Clark. Now, they were pretty sure that Sinclair by this point was responsible for the three murders in Glasgow as well. But without the forensic evidence, they were worried that it would weaken their case for Christine and Helen. So they decided not to connect them to the trial, which I do think this was a good call. The indictment alleged that on the night of October 1977, Sinclair and Gordon had persuaded or forced the girls into a motor vehicle and held them against their will before raping and murdering them. Sinclair pleaded not guilty to the rape and murder. At the commencement of the trial, Sinclair lodged two special defenses, one of consent and one of incrimination. He stated that any sexual activity between him and the two girls was consensual, and if they had come to any harm after that, it was Gordon Hamilton that was responsible. Smart, he's dead, I mean. Convenient, I mean. That's really the, convenient. Yeah. The jury was made up of nine women and six men. So the prosecution argued that Angus Sinclair owned a Toyota caravan at the time of the murders. And it had since been destroyed, so police were unable to forensically test the upholstery of the car. 
the semen matched Angus, proving that he was involved. The defense opened up the case with this. He claimed that Angus had consensual sex with both girls and that he had nothing to do with their murders. At this point, the defense submitted that the Crown had no case to answer and failed to lead evidence that Angus had been involved in acting with force or violence against the girls, and they couldn't prove that it wasn't consensual. And on September 10, the trial judge, Lord Clark, upheld the defense submission of no case to answer and formally acquitted Sinclair before dismissing the jury. So basically, the judge is saying, yeah, we can't prove it wasn't consensual. He probably didn't kill them. I actually have a huge, huge problem with this because what does the judge think happened? That Angus slept with both girls and then peaced out and, and left Gordon, Gordon there? Gordon just was there and then he just murdered dude, them? I, dude, I can't. I literally can't. He said that the evidence that Sinclair had played any role in their deaths was neutral at best. And the prosecution did make one decision that I think really hurt their case. There was a piece of evidence that he chose not to use. So the knots that had been tied, that had been used to tie up the girls, were tied with two different types of knots. A reef knot and the other one was a granny knot. When Angus was in prison, he had been trained on making fishing nets using reef knots. Yep. And there was DNA on this material, but it wasn't as strong. They couldn't prove as high of a probability, so it was only a 320 to 1 chance that the DNA belonged to Sinclair. So the prosecutor decided not to use it, but I think that that combined with his semen being in both girls, it would have been enough to prove that he had something to do with their murders. I agree. But acquitted means he can't be tried again. Yep. Double jeopardy, you guys. Double jeopardy. After the trial, you guys, uh, you're not going to like this. The father gives a statement. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. I'm not even going to play it for Maddie. I'm opting out. You can talk about it. Ready, set. We played the clip for you. Here it is. Here's what Marie has to say about it. What's going to explain how I feel? 30 years of trying to get a conclusion. I promised him a late wife that I would stick by this and get somebody brought and get justice, which honestly I don't think I've had today. Uh, had it gone, uh, at least had it gone to a jury, one can accept probably their decision. So that was the clip and it it really like just breaks me because one thing that I did read is that he was very supportive throughout the investigation of the way that it was handled. He was very supportive to the police. He was not negative. He never said a bad thing about them. And then he has to walk out of this courtroom. Empty-handed. Empty-handed. And he had promised his wife that he would find justice for their daughter. And he feels like he failed. I literally nope. can't. Good thing I'm not listening to it. I'm super excited about that. Pumped. And after all of this is when the public finds out about Sinclair's history. And remember, this story was very big. 
in the media. So we have the sexual assault of an eight-year-old and then the sexual assault and murder of another eight-year-old. In 1980, he was convicted of illegally possessing a 22 revolver. So when all of this came out, combined with the acquittal, it sparked a very heated and public debate over the handling of the case. Yeah, and there were like some back and forth. I didn't like collect it all or copy it down, but basically there was like people coming down on the judge, the judge retaliating and defending himself, the prosecutor. I mean, there was like all of this back and forth that was kind of like out there in the media because these all the players were kind of trying to defend themselves and it just got really ugly. So in 2010, the Criminal Justice Act abolished the double jeopardy law, allowing criminals to be retried with new evidence. And initially, this law only applied to new trials and could not be used retroactively. Right. So we still have our double jeopardy law today. That has not gone away here. But I've got to say, I love what they did with this because the key is new evidence. The key is evidence that was not available at the initial trial. I think that is very important to note. I don't think it would be fair if criminals could just continue to get tried over and over again in hopes of finding a better jury, right? We don't want that to be happening. Yeah, no. But it's the new evidence. And eventually it was fought for that retroactively cases could be tried again. Okay. So in 2014, they were able to actually retry Sinclair. So in order to be eligible to retry this case, they had to bring forth new evidence that was not available during the original trial. They used Crime Light to search the women's clothing for trace evidence. Saliva and semen fluoresced under the light and the Crime Light technique revealed Sinclair's DNA on the ligatures used to strangle and tie up Helen and Christine. And testing revealed that he had had sex with both of the girls. So basically, they're just able to find this trace DNA that they weren't able to fully test or prove 100% that it belonged to him originally. Angus was convicted of the murders of Christine and Helen, so this time around was successful. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 37 years which is the longest sentence that could be imposed in Scotland at the time. And it's kind of poetic because it had been 37 years since the girls had been murdered. Although this didn't really bring closure for the father. And here's what he said after the sentencing. It's justice for the girls. It's what I've always wanted. I promised my late wife. I would fight to the end of my days, and uh, it'll be closure, I hope, for some of my family. It'll never be closure for me, because I saw Helen that night when she was came up, was brought up from East Lothian, and I'll never forget, as long as I live, what I saw that day, what they had done to my beautiful daughter. It's just so sad, and he looks so frail and so old, and... The fact that his entire life has been this for the last 40 years is so terrible. But at least he can sleep at night knowing that Angus Sinclair will die in prison, which 
So, Angus died in prison on March 11th, 2019 at the age of 73. He actually died the same day that BBC's Crime Watch Roadshow program aired where they profiled the murders. Which is kind of ironic. He was also suspected of killing four other women between 1977 and 1978. So within a seven-month period of the murders of Christine and Helen. The Scottish police actually launched Operation Trinity to review unsolved murders and see if any of them could be linked to Sinclair. They found the chances that Sinclair had been responsible were compelling. And this was the girls that we mentioned earlier. So we have Frances, Hilda, Agnes, and Anna. They had all disappeared after a night out at a dance hall or pub. They had all died violent deaths and they had all been raped and bound. So Frances was 37 and in June of 1977, she would go missing. She was a bakery worker and had been abducted near her home on Mary Hill Road. She had last been seen drinking with friends and her body was found in the woods. She had been strangled. She lived 40 yards from Sinclair's house at the time. Oh, so this motherfucker definitely killed her. But wait, it gets worse. A man named Thomas Ross was convicted for her murder and proclaimed his innocence for the 30 years that he spent in prison until his death. If you could see Maddie's face right now, you would know that she is very upset about this. Dude, that is literally the I hate. And then Anna was 20 and went missing in August of 1977 after leaving the Hurdy Gurdy Bar. She was last seen trying to get a taxi. She was raped and strangled, and her remains were found 20 months later in a remote area. She was found near where Sinclair had spent his honeymoon. Hilda was 36 and went missing in October after a night out dancing and was last seen near the Plaza Ballroom. She was raped, beaten, and found dumped on Wasteland. This was two weeks before the World's End murders, and Sinclair worked just around the corner at the time. What the? This man is right by all of these. This is... And she was a single mom with two kids. <sighs> and then Agnes is the last one, and she was 23. She went missing in December of 1977 after visiting the Clotta Social Club in Govanhill. She had been stabbed 26 times. Now... It did appear that she had fought back. She had a lot of defensive wounds. So this could be why she's the only one that was stabbed. Or this could be a completely different Could be. Or killer. he could have been like, she fought back. She like seriously rejected him. Maybe she pissed him off. Right. Well, and after this murder, I believe, is when he went to molesting children. So... This could have been her fighting back, him having a struggle with her, and could have forced him to younger, more vulnerable victims after this. I don't know, though. One of Sinclair's brothers actually said that if he had known what his brother would become, he would have killed him as a boy. (sighs) So that was the story of Angus Sinclair, who is a complete douchebag. The children. We don't like you. And we're going to talk about this more in Bunker Talk. But the one thing that I do have a serious issue with on this case is the victimology is 
all over the place. And he goes back and forth. He doesn't like start with one and go to another. Perv is a perv. It's not usually though. Not usually. Usually pervs are not Maybe everyone he murdered looked young that wasn't young. Maybe all the older. 37 though and 8 is very different. Dude, I don't, he he did it. I know. He did it. I don't know. And that's that's the thing. We know he did it. We know that he did the child murder. We know that he did the child molestation. And we know that he did the murders of at least the 17-year-olds yeah. and Mary Gallagher. Yep. The three, So three 17-year-olds. But I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. This was crazy. This was disturbing. You're welcome. You're welcome. And we will be back next week for oh, a really disturbing one. Good. So, if you want more, come and check out our Bunker Talk. We're going to hop over there right now. Everybody stay cool out there. And, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. And we will talk to you later. Bye. So, um, this is a whole new episode, right? Yeah, because we tried to start it, but we didn't really get very far. Oh, okay. Um, we tried to record this a couple days ago, but uh, I was very, very cranky, and Maddie, extremely cranky, and Maddie had no voice, dude. It's so, so instead, we both sat here and cried. So, yeah. so it was it was a great time. It was fantastic. It was really hot. It was a rough day. So my voice sounds like this. It's way better than it was the other day. This is actually way way better. So. Maddie's got a weird voice thing. I have allergies right now, so we're both uh, kind of a hot mess, but it's fine. We're going to... And I just picked up something in Mexico, you know, casually. I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. Just bringing back illnesses. This is why they ask you when you go to the doctor if you've done any traveling in the last That's 14 exactly, days. Yeah. And you're like, nope, nope, sure. I'll Didn't go anywhere. Nope. Nope. I don't know. What do you mean? Nope. People are traveling right now. That's crazy. Dude, actually getting back into the U.S. was way easier from Mexico than Europe. Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. Okay. Um, I feel, I'm sorry to everyone else living in the Pacific Northwest right now because life kind of sucks. Yeah. Try to stay cool out there, guys. I don't know what the hell is going on. I saw stuff on Twitter where it was like people from hot states right now are saying like the Pacific Northwest doesn't even know what heat is. Like they're all being dramatic. Like we have this heat all the time. And then <laughs> someone, this girl was like, okay, but here's the thing. We all think 110 degrees is unbearable as it is. Second off, these people don't know how to drink water because they don't deal with this stuff. <laughs> they, none of them own AC units. Yeah. Like, so less than 40% of us actually have air conditioners in our houses. So when you are in a really warm climate, everybody has air conditioners. And so it's not Most of our restaurants like don't even have. Yeah, so you guys AC. our restaurants don't have AC. So you go into a restaurant right now and it is like 140 degrees. All in small there. shops are closed right now cuz they don't have AC like like there's so yeah, much places going on. are literally having to close down because their employees can't handle the heat in their buildings. So like our house becomes unbearably hot by like 3 p.m. We did actually just buy an AC unit, but we've never had one ever in my, I've never in my life lived somewhere with an air conditioner. So nor have I until this very moment. Yeah. So we're big time now, but literally it will like air condition one small room. So yeah, it's not like it's <laughs> some high powered AC. Yeah. Anyway, I don't even have AC in my car. 
Yeah, Maddie doesn't have AC in her car. She's been broken for like uh, three... Shed doesn't have AC in his car either. Yeah, but mine's been broken. I just haven't fixed it because I'm like, oh... We don't need it's it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, there's probably maybe like a handful of days in the summer where I'm like dying in my car usually. Yeah, and even during the summer, I don't re- usually use my car AC. I prefer to have my window down. So, yeah. I mean, we just... We're not prepared for this kind of heat. It's fine. Okay, anyway... Enough about the heat. I'll move that to the end for you guys. Mom. Mate. Those are Australians. Shit, what does Scotland say? What do Scottish people say? Scottish. Uh... Give me some Scottish accent, Maddie. I'm not doing an accent because then you're going to put it in the podcast. I'm definitely going I'm to. I'm not having that happen. Madison. No, I don't even have a good Scottish accent. I know accent. you want to be Scottish. Come on. Do it. Turn me one to a bear. Bear. Bah, no, I can't get it. 